Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the 2020 Mindset Leadership Conference. I'm your host, Riley Jensen, and today I'm super excited to introduce to you who I consider to be a good friend. He's been an excellent basketball coach for a long time now, and um, I'd just like to introduce to you all uh, the head coach for Weber State Basketball, Coach Randy Ray. Randy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Riley. I appreciate it. I had a little time on my hands, so this was, this works out really well. With well, I think, I think you've been out recruiting pretty hard, haven't you? No, we have. We haven't been out recruiting, but we've been home recruiting. And, right. Uh, I think I got cauliflower ear from, uh, from being on the phone so, so long for so many weeks. But uh, it's worked out well for us, and we're excited about the group of kids we put together. And uh, my staff and I, have, you know, we've worked really hard to try to – we had to sign uh, – we're trying to sign eight. We've got seven kids done. Still waiting for one more guy, and uh, and uh, hopefully when we get him, we'll be set and ready to go. That's awesome, Coach. I, you know, when I came to Weber State a, a few years ago, um, you and I had some really, really good talks, and you and I have both, um, you know, we, we knew each other when I was playing football up at Utah State, and you were an assistant coach up there. But – I, I just love your mindset and I love, I love the way you coach kids. I love the way you, you do a lot of different things, but I was, I was wondering if you could give us maybe the definition, you know, not the dictionary definition, but your definition of what mental toughness is. You know, it's, I would talk about that a lot with our team and everything, Riley. And uh, um, excuse me, I think I lost you. Sorry. Um, just the video part. Okay. Hold on one second. There you go. We talk a lot about it with our team because one thing in recruiting, we always look for mentally tough kids, competitive kids, that type of thing. But, you know, a lot of people think of toughness as, as physical toughness. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this guy, you know, during the game, I'm going to cheap shot a guy, whatever. But it, to me, the toughness is, is mental toughness. It's, it's being able to uh, be comfortable in uncomfortable situations uh, it's always having that uh, tremendous amount of confidence, no matter how good things are going or how poorly things are going, that, that confidence that you have in yourself and your team uh, never wavers. And to me, that's, that's what mental toughness is, being able to overcome adversity, being, over, uh, being able to overcome difficult situations, you know, in everything, in basketball, in life, and everything. And we talk a lot about that with our team. And and then the, the question always is, can you develop mental toughness or is it just kind of who a person is? Is it automatically ingrained in their DNA or can you develop it? And I've always thought you can develop it. I think it, I like kids that have it, but I think if kids come here and they don't have it, I think we can get more from them from a mental toughness standpoint. Um, and I think it's a lot of it, you know, is, is by pushing kids really hard. You know, we talked about in our program trying to break down barriers uh, you know, early in practice when we're going hard and we're pushing kids to the limit, you know, how many kids can, can keep going and break, break down a barrier or in, you know, a lot of kids hit, hit a certain point where they just don't think they can go anymore. And uh, I think the more barriers you keep pushing these kids through to break them down, the more mentally tough you become. And, you know, in practice, we try to put our kids in really difficult situations uh, and having to try to succeed in a difficult situation. And, and I think that's helped uh, us try to develop it if a kid doesn't truly have that. So, yeah, mental toughness is always, you know, everything's, 
kids kids uh, perform well. Be, people do well when everything's going good, right? Everything's good. You know, you're winning. Um, kids are playing well. Uh, their family life is good. Everything's good. Everybody's got, you know, a form of mental toughness. It's it's when things don't go well, when adversity strikes. How do you handle it? On to that. And to me, the mental tough people respond very well, and they they get through that adversity um, a lot quicker. You know, and uh, I'm probably talking too much here, Riley, but uh, I like this question. But you know, we talk about. Uh, this, the cows and the, and the buffaloes, you know, uh, I tell our kids a story all the time about when the big storm's coming over the horizon, what do the cows do? The cows run away from the storm, try to outrun it. Uh, the buffalo look at the storm and they run into the storm to try to get through it as quickly as they can and, and, and conquer it. And, uh, and uh, I think that's what mental toughness is. You know, we try to talk to our kids about, we got to be buffaloes. If the storm's coming, we got to run into it conquer it and let's move on from it so i've used that analogy i don't know if i i don't know if i stole it from you i don't know where i got it from but i've used that as well with with plenty of teams and it's it's really interesting as a storm comes over the mountains from the west right a buffalo will run at it and a cow tries to outrun it and that causes a lot of problems for cows right and a buffalo is like hey man let's get through this as quick as we can and then, uh, and then move forward. But, I, man, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, I think it's easy to be a front runner nowadays, right? Like, it's easy to tweet out about how great you are when you're, when you're doing summer workouts, and it's really easy, to great, re- really easy to highlight yourself, you know, on a highlight film. But what about when it gets tough? What about when things aren't great with your family, when things aren't great, you know, as far as your scoring or your rebounding or whatever? <laughs> I think sometimes um, we forget that it's a that it's something you have to work on when things are working against you, right? And I think that's true for a coach and a player, right? No question. I mean, we go through coaches, you know, we go th- go through it all the time. There's ups and downs, and you know, I tell our team before the season starts, I said we're never going to really know how good we are until we get punched in the face, you know, or when we hit adversity. Uh, that's going to tell the true character of our team, the true mental toughness of our team, because everybody's going to go through it. You can't avoid it. Uh, I don't think we're going to go undefeated, <laughs> you know. Uh, we'll have some tough times. And how you deal with those tough times, and uh, as you, as an individual, and also as, you know, and uh, the closeness of your team and the chemistry of your team and the togetherness of your team will help you get through it quicker. But, Kids, you know, nowadays it's so much uh, is put on individual. Um, It's just the way kind of society is with all the social media. It's a me, me, me society now. And look at me and what am I doing and all that stuff. And and so kids, uh, when kids do hit adversity, like you said, uh, when they're playing well and they're scoring well and everything's good, they love to tweet, they love to whatever, Instagram about how great things are going. But when, uh, when things hit the when tough times come, you know, what is the response to that? And I think a lot of kids have trouble, have more trouble this day and age handling it because they're exposed to criticism when things don't go well. Right. They, uh, they hear all the criticism because they can get tweeted back or they can go on social media and read everything that's going on about them. Um, and so I think the last, you know, I look at the last five to seven, eight years when social media has become a real, uh, mainstay in our, you know, it's kind of what we do now. 
uh, I think that's really changed things. And, and that's where we've got to be, uh, you know, a little different as coaches now. We've got to realize, you know, that's a big part of it. And how do we deal with that with our kids? Um, and so we talk quite a bit about all that stuff, you know, about social media and the impact and all that. But, but truly, you know, we talk to them a lot about, hey, you know, especially before the season, things are coming. The storm's coming. There's going to be a storm coming. And uh, how, do we, how are we going to handle that? And if we handle it the right way, take that storm on, uh, get through it quick, stick together doing it, uh, believe in yourself, believe in your teammates, no matter what the situation is. And they got to have that belief from the coaches, the coaching staff, uh, that it's going to come and we're going to be able to handle it. We'll get through it quick and we'll, we'll still uh, we'll be able to be successful after it. I love it. I love it. You're, you're actually like going through all my questions. I was going to ask you, you know, has, has coaching players changed over the years? But I think you did a great job of answering that. So maybe I'll ask you this. Who's the, who's the most mentally tough player that you've ever coached or been around? That's a good question. Uh, I've had quite a few. You know, the obvious answer is probably Damian, you know, Lillard. Um, he had all that. Obviously, his mental toughness was off the charts. Um, he had a chip on his shoulder like no other uh, that I probably coached. He was out to prove something to everybody that he could uh, make it as a Division One player, especially early in his career. And then uh, he, uh, he obviously had that chip on his shoulder to prove to people that he could come from a mid-major school like Weber State and, and make it in the NBA. Um, that, chip, that chip just keeps growing with him. And then when he got to the NBA, you know, I got a chip on my shoulder to prove that I belong. And then when he had success, hey, I, I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to prove I'm the best rookie in this league. It just keeps going with that guy. And that's what, that's what kind of pushes him forward. He's had so much success now that I think a lot of people think, it's, well, hey, you're, you've made it. You and he absolutely never thinks that way. He doesn't like it when people talk that way to him. And uh, he's always trying to find the next challenge to go prove something. You know, he wants to prove that he can take his team to a championship. He wants to prove to uh, everybody that he can potentially become an MVP guy in that league. Um, but uh, he's an obvious one for good reason, too. But I've had a lot of guys like that. Uh, Jeremy Singlin was a guy that uh, graduated recently. who was very, very similar to that. Um, his mental toughness when things got tough, when things got – he wasn't playing well, uh, our team wasn't playing well. He's a guy that could uplift not only himself in tough times, but his team in tough times. And uh, he was a guy similar to Damian where his confidence never wavered. He could miss 10 shots in a row, and he knew that next one was going in, uh, you know, just like Damian did. Uh, I think guys that are mentally tough, uh, guys that uh, – it's easy when a guy starts a game and plays well. That first two or three shots, those go in the hole. You make the right plays. You're playing good. A lot of guys will play the rest of the game well. Mental toughness is when you don't start the game well. And I've always looked for that in kids. Maybe you don't make your shots early. Maybe you turn the ball over. Maybe you're just not, you know, focused, whatever it may be. The mentally tough guys will find a way during the game to get themselves going. And their confidence never wavers. And they still believe that they're going to, you know, perform well no matter what. But those two guys really stand out to me. Um, as being just mentally tough guys that I've had. I've had guys before that as well. Kyle Bullinger, who people probably don't know, was one of the toughest kids I've ever coached. Um, maybe not the most talented player, but just tough on tough. 
from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, a kid that got the most out of his ability night in and night out. Uh, he's one that always stands out to me as well. He was in our program for four years, a few years ago, but um, those are three guys that kind of stand out. And I've had a lot more as well. It's hard to cover all the guys, but uh, it's, uh, it does get a little harder to find those uh, mentally tough kids this day and age, but they're out there. Uh, we look for them, and once we get them, we try to even uh, push them to become even more tougher uh, mentally than uh, when we got them. I think it's interesting. Obviously, Damian Lillard is, is, you know, a Weber State. Everybody knows about him and Weber State. But I think there's players all over the place that are getting the most out of themselves because they, they're playing to their maximum potential. Now, maybe they're not NBA players like Damian Lillard, but they, right. they become great for the team. They became, they became great for the program and for themselves because they got the most out of themselves. And I, you know, I – it's really fun for me to watch mentally tough players. I mean, you, you look – I mean, we're watching – we're all watching Last Dance right now, watching Michael Jordan every every Sunday night, right? And right. Damian Lillard, I've heard some stories from you telling me, just talking to him last season, he's mad about something or he's upset and you're giving him a couple of keywords and he gets mad at you and then calls you a few days later and says you were right, coach, and – it feels like – and then you watch Tom Brady, right? It feels like these great players that are mentally tough can almost manufacture this motivation and this chip on their shoulder, even when it seemingly you wouldn't need to, right? It doesn't seem like Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or Damian Lillard would have to manufacture this this motivation, but they do it all the time. And, and they seem to be just constantly trying to get themselves better and that – their story's never finished, right? That they're not even close to where they want to be. They, they never are. And, and you look at guys like, you know, Tom Brady. You know, he's always looking to the next challenge. Guys that uh, uh, are like that, they, they are never satisfied. Uh, you know, Brady still thinks he's got something to prove. Now he's got something to prove with the new team, right? And right. I can take the playoffs or whatever. But that's what the great ones do. Uh, the great ones are never, ever satisfied. The great ones never, ever – relax. The great ones always find something uh, to motivate them to push themselves to the next highest level. And that's what makes them special. And, and I've always thought great players want to be pushed really hard. Uh, they want to be coached hard. They want to be criticized. They want to be pushed. You know, uh, I've had guys, you know, Damian told me that, you know, when he was here, coach me hard. I want to be coached. And we did. Uh, the Jeremy Singlins, the Joe Bollum boys, you know, and Jerry Hardings, all those guys, they want to be coached hard because they want to get the most out of their abilities and they know they've got to be pushed. Uh, some of the guys, maybe the lesser players, they don't like it because they just, they don't want to be pushed. They want to be thinking, you know, everything's okay. Uh, yeah. And I've always thought that about it. And I tell our guys in recruiting, when we get a guy that we think is going to be, has a chance to be a special guy, I tell them before we get them, Hey, if you come here, I'm going to push you hard. If you don't want to be pushed hard, if you don't want to be coached hard, don't come here because it's not going to work. And, uh, and the good ones, you know, you got a good one when they, they hear all that and they want to be a part of that. But, uh, but yeah, they create stuff. Damien's constantly creating something in his mind uh, where somebody might be disrespecting him or somebody's not giving him his due, whatever it might be. He is constantly searching for that next little, uh, 
I guess they, you know, I keep saying chip on your shoulder and that's what he does. And that's what the great ones do. They're just never, ever satisfied with where they are. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun to hear. Let's shift gears just a little bit to you. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your story. How did you get into coaching? Where have you coached and what brought you to Weaver State? Well, it's a long story, Riley. So, uh, <laughs> no time, baby. We got time. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I grew up on a little farm in Iowa, uh, little t outside of a little town of about 2,000 people. And I went to college. I was, uh, I got a scholarship to play baseball. Uh, I've always loved basketball more, but when you're, uh, when you're, you know, a midget or a Oompa Loompa like me, there's not a lot of basketball schools that are coming to try to give you a scholarship. So I went on a baseball scholarship to a smaller school and I was allowed to play. I, I got to walk on and play basketball. At the same time, our team wasn't very good, so they let me walk on. But So I played four years of, of baseball, four years of basketball. Uh, thought I was going to be a professional baseball player, but I had a little trouble hitting that slider. I just couldn't quite handle it. So, so I, went, uh, I went into coaching, and I started coaching in a small school in eastern Colorado, a little town called Stratton. Uh, when you start off coaching, you know, at a small town, you got to coach everything. I was like a – assistant varsity baseball, assistant varsity basketball. I was junior high basketball. I was junior high football, track. I did about everything. Um, and then eventually, after a couple of years of that, I got to be a head coach uh, out there. And I was a head basketball coach, which is what I wanted to become for about five years. And, uh, and I went and started, I started working some basketball camps when I was the head coach at Stratton High School in Colorado. And I got to know some people and I went all over the country. I went to Kansas and Colorado State and Colorado and Kansas State. And I worked these summer basketball camps to try to get to know some people. And uh, one summer, it was in the summertime, and a friend, a guy that I got to know at a camp got the head coaching job at Colorado College. And uh, he called me and he said, hey, uh, I'm looking for an assistant coach. Uh, would you be interested? I said, sure, of course I would be. You know, would you like to get into college basketball? And I thought, yeah, that might be kind of cool. And I was single at the time, and he said, well, I can only pay you $1,200. And I said, well, I can live on $1,200 a month. That's not bad. And he says, no, that's $1,200 for the year. And I was like, what the, what the heck? Let's, uh, let's do it. So I took the job, and I got into it. And the guy's name was Al Walker, who hired me. And he's still a good friend to this day. And he exposed me to college basketball, recruiting, and all the things that go into it. And, you know, I had to uh, – uh, I had to do other jobs, you know, I was student or substitute teaching and I got a job in a sporting goods store, but I ended up getting fired because I didn't like it. And I didn't do a very good job. And <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to coach and make it any way I could. And, and uh, that was a great year for me because I had no idea what college basketball was all about. And uh, he wanted to, you know, he wanted me to stay there for a year and then he wanted me to try to get to help me find a GA position. The following year, I got to be a GA at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Um, I was there for nine months. It was a great experience. However, the head coach got fired after nine months, so I was fired as well. Uh, then I was really stuck. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to go back into high school, and I could not find a job all summer in college basketball, but I ended up working about 13 camps in a row, summer camps in a row. I just started driving. I went to Syracuse, Villanova back to Kansas, Kansas State, and not only trying to become a better coach, but also trying to maybe meet somebody that might be able to help me find a job. 
Well, lo and behold, I didn't get one and it got late. It was, it was early August. So I went down to Denver university. Dick Paith was the head coach at Denver university. And uh, I kind of begged him to just let me volunteer. Just let me be a part of the program. I'll find a way to make a living and support myself. And he agreed to let me just kind of volunteer. And, but he let me do everything in the program. He let me recruit. He let me coach. He let me scout. He let me do, uh, be a part of everything. And that was a good year for me to, to even get more involved in college basketball and learn and grow. And then uh, the following year, I got the break that I, that I kind of needed. Uh, Stu Morrill just got the job at uh, Colorado State. He was the head coach at Montana, got hired at Colorado State. And uh, I was working the Colorado State camps. I'd worked for Boyd Grant up there many, many years. And Boyd came to me and said, uh, hey, uh, we need to get you on staff with Coach Morrill. And I said, well, that'd be great, but I have no idea. He doesn't know me, and I don't know him. And he said, well, I know Coach Morrill. I'm going to try to help you. So he went to Coach Morrill and, and uh, tried to get me involved. And Coach, uh, he already had two or three guys in mind for what's called the – back then it was a restricted earnings position, yeah. which was a low-level job, really no money. And uh, so anyway, I don't know if you want to hear the story about how nope. that happened. I do. Keep going, man. This is this is resilience at its best, man. Well, you're gonna you're gonna lose viewers by me probably going on rambling on here. But uh, so anyway, uh, he tried to get me involved. Finally, Coach Morrow uh, called me up to his office, and uh, he said, uh, "Hey, Coach Grant has been trying to get you, uh, you know, uh, get me to hire you. But I've got two or three guys in mind. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but I'll keep you on the list." I said, "That's all I asked for. That's great." So I remember I was doing, a, I was working at the camp and I had, uh, I was doing, I had a bunch of kids in the gym and I was running a defensive drill for all these kids in the gym. And Coach Morrow walked in and uh, I, I knew he was trying to check me out to see if I knew what I was doing and all that stuff. So he did that. Still didn't hear anything from him for a few days. Finally, he calls me back up into his office and he says, uh, hey, I had a couple of guys in mind, but for some reason they fell through. I'm going to look at you. He said, uh, but I'm, I'm going to give you these five game films from my days at Montana, and I want you to break them down. I want to know if you know what you're doing, scouting, and if you can actually break down a game film. He says, and I want to, and this was like at, uh, I don't know, 3, 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He says, I want to meet you back in my office at uh, 8 o'clock the next morning after you break these down. And I was like, whoa, I got, <laughs> all right, I got to get to work. So he gave me the films, and I, I remember going home, and, uh, and working on them all night. I stayed up all night and I broke them down and I did all my diagrams and I wrote my notes and then I had to go make it look good. So I went to Kinko's to, to try to put this whole thing together and make it look good with laminations and all these things and folders. And I, I just, I stayed up all night and I remember, you know, I got up the next morning and I was gonna beat him to the office. So I'm there about 7.15 and the, the doors are locked and I'm waiting for him to show up and, and coach finally shows up and, we walk into his office and he says, well, what do you got for me? So I showed him everything and he kind of, he looked at him, he, he took everything and I worked my tail off on this stuff. And he, uh, and I had pages and pages and notes and notes and he took them and he just threw them in the trash. And he said, and I was like, whoa, whoa, coach, can I keep that? <laughs> you know, I worked hard. I want to save that stuff. So he gave it back to me, but he looked at me, he says, Hey, I got one, I got one question for you. And I says, yeah, coach, whatever. And he says, do you have a Napoleon's complex? <laughs> and I, 
I didn't I, I didn't know what he's talking about because I'd never heard that before. Mm -hmm. And I looked at coach and I says, Coach, I don't think so. I feel fine. Uh, you know, I thought it was some kind of disease. He says, <laughs> I, said, I feel fine, but I'll go I'll go to the doctor. I'll do whatever it takes to uh, uh, to get checked out. And he starts laughing. He says, No, no, no. Napoleon's complex is a little man's disease. You know, sometimes little guys have to prove their worth and they they're kind of a pain in the pain in the ass and all that stuff. And I started laughing. He started laughing. I says, no, I don't think I got that coach. I think, I think I'm fine. And he says, okay, you got the job. And that was really the break I needed. And uh, from then on, I was with coach at Colorado state for seven years. I came over with him when he got the job at Utah state, we were together for 13 years. And then a good friend of mine got the job at, uh, at Utah, Ray Giacoletti. And uh, he wanted me to go down there with him and, that was probably the hardest thing I had to do. I, I just kind of felt like I was with Coach Morrow for 13 years, and I wanted to look at something else and be with a friend of mine, maybe learn and get better as a coach. And and that probably the hardest conversation I ever had was with Coach Morrow when I decided to leave Utah State. And we had a hard time. Coach was great, though. He was like, hey, I understand. It was a pretty emotional time for both of us. And uh, so I took the plunge, and I went down with Ray for two years. and had two great years with Ray. Ray's a phenomenal coach, a great person. I learned a different way to do things. And then after two years, I was fortunate enough to get the job at Weber State. And that's a long story in itself how that happened. But, um, but I was really lucky to get the job here at Weber State. I probably wasn't the best candidate as far as experience. There's a lot of, a lot of guys with the head coaching experience, but they took a chance on me up here. And, and I'm forever grateful for that chance. And, um, I just, uh, I got a great opportunity and, you know, feel like I've been blessed every day to be the head coach up here. And I take the responsibility very, very strongly and, and just try to do the best we can. God, what a, what a fantastic story of grit, resiliency, man. I mean, you're, you're coaching for $1,200 a year. You're coaching for zero dollars. I mean, how many people actually make that effort now? How many, how many people really want it that bad? And, yeah. and I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can find that many people around the country that are willing to do that. And so, wow! Thanks for sharing all that. I, I don't think that was too long at all. That was awesome, Coach. Well, I appreciate it. it uh, my wife has another story. When I met my wife at Colorado State, um, she uh, she didn't know all the debt I was in. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, as, as we as we uh, started going uh, longer and. You know, we ended up getting married, obviously, but uh, she she couldn't believe uh, the debt that uh, she she took the plunge with me because uh, when we got married, it was not easy having to dig out of the hole that it, you know spending that much time coaching for no money you you, you develop some uh, some issues and <laughs> we had some money issues, but she's uh, she's also one that uh, she's probably my greatest strength and I'm not sitting here today if it wasn't for my wife. She's an amazing woman, but uh, that's another story in itself. That's because you've talked about her plenty of times in our own in our own conversation. So I, I appreciate you mentioning her because it it takes it takes a team, right? I mean, no matter no matter if you're individually trying to succeed or as a team you're trying to succeed, you need great people around you. And uh, man, you got you got those two coaches that gave you the breaks, you know, at Denver College and and what was the one in 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 Eastern Colorado? The oh, name yeah. Bratton High School in Colorado, yeah. They, they, yeah, then, and then the, the first college job that you coached for $1,200 was where? It was at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. 
I mean, those guys give you a break. Then you finally get a break with Stu Morrow. You're with him for almost 20 years. Man, yeah. what, a, what a cool story. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's, that's amazing. Now, you just gave us a whole bunch of really good stuff, but is there, is there a failure in there anywhere that, 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 you, that you would care to share with us that sticks out, that maybe you learned some good lessons from? There's a lot of them, Riley. Uh, there's a whole bunch, you know, you know, going to University of Colorado. And now I was a GA at the time, but it's, uh, you know, getting fired, even though I was only there for nine months, you know, that was, that was a, an eye opener. That's a failure. You know, we're all involved. I was a GA, but I was involved in it as well as anybody else on the staff and it didn't go well. And we lost our jobs and had to find out ways to uh, get back on track and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you just, you do, you feel like a failure. You wonder if you're ever going to coach again. You ever, you wonder if, you know, maybe your career's over and maybe you got to start looking at something else. And, and that was an eye opener and, and God bless my wife because we weren't married at the time, but she, we were dating at the time and, and she was a rock for me and kept pushing me and saying, Hey, this is all going to work out. You have a dream. You just, you got, like we talked about earlier, I got punched in the face, right? And you got to figure out how to handle the adversity and move on from it. And, and uh, so that was one that really sticks out to me, but there's many along the way. I mean, there's, there's uh, I remember coaching with uh, at Utah state with coach Morrill and we're playing a game at home and it's a big game. And, and we have a timeout and uh, we have the lead by, by one point. And uh, uh, I had a defensive, I was kind of the coach's defensive guy at the time up there. And I was going to set up a defense at, on the timeout to try to stop this team from scoring. There was only like seven or eight seconds to go in the game. And, and I talked Coach Morrill into, into doing this little pressure thing, full court. Well, long story short, it did not work. And the kid, uh, they had a good player. They got the ball to, and the kid ends up scoring at the, uh, at the buzzer to beat us by one. And to me, I'll never forget that because I just, I felt like I let coach down. I let the team down. Um, it, was, it was not a good defensive strategy. And uh, I remember walking in afterwards and, you know, I was going to take the blame. I walked into coach and I just said, hey, coach, I'm sorry. I lost this game for us. And, and it crushed me. It crushed me. Um, and being Coach Morrill, who Coach Morrill is, looked at me and says, don't you ever tell me that again. We're in this together. I'm the head coach. Uh, I decided to go with it. And it was a good strategy. It just didn't work. And uh, he got me through that, that bit of adversity. But – you know, I've had a lot of games throughout my, my career at Weber State. You know, a few years ago, we're playing in the conference championship game against Montana. And uh, we had a heck of a season, won a lot of games. We're playing really well. We're up 20 at halftime. And uh, we're at home. That's when the, uh, the team that won the conference got to host the tournament. We're at home. And we come out in the second half, and things just got totally changed on us. And they had a kid that went off for 42 points. 26 or 28 in the second half and we tried everything we could to stop him and then one thing led to another you know all of a sudden we can't score and this kid's going crazy and we can't stop him and we end up losing the game right at the end and that was probably the most difficult defeat that I've ever been a part of and you know I, I remember after the game you know just I stayed up all night I drove in the mountains I just uh, I needed to be alone and try to decipher all this stuff, what happened. And that was probably, uh, you know, one of my lowest points as coaching at Weber State was, was having to take that defeat and, and knowing that, you know, 
how, what did I do wrong and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, that, that was a hard one, but again, you know, you know, go to my wife and she picks me up and gets me back in the saddle and says, Hey, you do this long enough. You're going to have a lot of times like that. It's not going to be easy. And, uh, let's get back going and figure out what we got to do to fix things and get better for the next year. So those are things that kind of stand out in my mind, but there's a lot more of those Riley, but, uh, yeah. it's funny. You kind of, you kind of remember the hard ones more than you do the, the successful moments, you know, I don't know, maybe that's the nature of it, but those are the ones that stick with you the most. Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like you learned how to push through those and how to move on and, and wow, just over and over and over again, it sounds like you have a great support system at home. And, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to players all the time. There's, there's three things that build confidence, motivation, that type of stuff. One is autonomy. It means you got to want to be there, your choice to be there, right? Two is competence, meaning not that you, you think that you're the best at it, but you know that if you have the right tools and the right people around you, you can be successful. And then third, and I feel like you've talked about this quite a few times, is what they shall support or having a great team around you and, and having people that can tell you the truth, that can pick you up when you fall, and tell you to calm down when you're getting a little cocky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Boy, you, you hit that right on the nose, Riley. That's exactly right. You've got to have a great team around you. And I've, I've been blessed. I've had great assistant coaches throughout the years. I've got a great support system at home. My wife is, is awesome. Um, and you got to have people that are willing to tell you the truth, number one, you know. Yeah. And uh, I tell my staff all the time, I said, don't BS me, you know. Uh, you got to let me know, uh, you know, when I'm wrong and uh, be honest with me. And, uh, and I, got, I get that from my staff, you know. Uh, I'm constantly asking for that. And I, I get it from home, you know. One of the best things about my wife, Laura, is she's going to tell me the truth. And, and you need to hear that. And, uh, and you also just need to, you know, you need to have that uh, when things aren't going well. You know, hey, we together, let's figure out how we're going to fix this, you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so so forth. And and this year was a good example for us. I mean, we had so many injuries this year that we just we had a hard time being real successful. We just it was just one of those years that I've never had one like that. And and, uh, you know, what do you do from there? You know, well, yeah. all you can do is sit down as a staff and figure out, OK, what do we got to do to fix this and let's move on and. You got to live in the moment. You can't live in the past. You can't worry about the future. You got to live in the moment. And uh, to me, that was a great lesson for us this year. Hey, we got to live in the moment. You know, you can look back and constantly think, well, what, what happened here? And why did this kid get hurt? And was it something we did and all that kind of stuff? Or you can just press on and just say the heck with it. We're going to, we're going to find a way to, to fix it and move on. And, but you got to have that good team around you. It takes a village as we all know. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, African proverb that says, you want to you go fast, go alone. Oh, excuse me. You want to you go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. And there's, that's totally the truth, man. You got to have, have everybody on the same page going together, and you really find out what you're made of when, when things don't go right, and you get some bad breaks and what you got to do to fix it. Yeah. Um. If a group of peers, group of your peers, maybe maybe some of the guys that you played college baseball and basketball with, or maybe those first few years that you were coaching basketball, if they if they were to fill in this blank, what would they say? Randy Ray would be successful because he blank. What do you think they would say? 
Well, I, I don't know for sure what they'd say. I hope it's good. <laughs> um, you know, very simple. I just, I hope they would say because he's going to work as hard as he possibly can and uh, to, to do the right and do it the right way. You know, um, you know, there's a good way, the right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. But I, I, I hope that they just they look at me and know that, hey, I'm going to work as hard as anybody out there uh, to try to become successful and hopefully do it the right way um, by building relationships and earning trust with everybody that you're working with, you know, always staying within the rules, those kind of things. But I just, I, I'll just, I hope people, you know, if they look at us and say, well, that, you know, he works hard, he works really hard and uh, tries to do it the right way and do it with good people around him. And uh, I, I hope that's it. And, uh, you know, I don't really know how to answer that for sure, but, we just try to roll up our sleeves, work really hard, do it the right way, treat people the way you want to be treated, and uh, bring in the right kids that uh, uh, exemplify your, your culture of how you want to do things. And, but it just comes down to working hard. Hopefully yeah. they'd say maybe you got a little bit of grit. Hopefully. I don't know. They'd say that. But, you know, when times get tough, you know, no matter what happens, you know, they're just going to keep pushing on and, and keep doing it the right way and, and working very hard. Yeah, I – you know, I, I haven't known you as, as long as maybe some of those guys have, but to me, the, the word that comes to my mind or the phrase that comes to my mind is blue collar. I, mean, I know you're going to work hard. I've seen you work hard. I've seen, and I, I really think that you're, people, people might call you old school, but I call it winning school, right? <laughs> you understand that, that that trait of working hard and putting in your best effort is usually the only way to find success and to find wins in Division One basketball. So I, I, I would agree. I, I think you're a hard worker. I think you're blue collar. I think you're, like I said, winning school, right? <laughs> you're a no-nonsense. And, and I think the one thing that I could say about you, too, is I think you're going to tell the truth. I think you tell your players the truth. I think you've told me the truth on everything that you're doing and what you expect out of me. And that's all you can ask, in my opinion. I mean, that makes me want to play for you. You know, so those are those are fun. Those are fun things to think about. A um, couple more questions, and then I'll let you get back to your family. Um, are there any past coaches, or is there a high school coach, or somebody that you think you kind of modeled or have stolen, or maybe maybe you find yourself repeating a lot of their phrases um, as far as mindset and mental toughness goes from, from over the years, maybe there's a few coaches you'd want to mention. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a couple that stick out for sure. The first one was my high school baseball coach. Um, he was, uh, you talk, you talk about old school now. Wow. He was a strong, strong disciplinarian, strong believer in culture. Um, back then the relationship part of piece of it wasn't a big deal back then, but, uh, he was a guy that was extremely hard on me um, and uh, pushed me to my limit. And uh, it was just, it was this basic, good old fashioned, strong discipline in our program. And uh, you just did not mess around with him and things were done a certain way. And uh, so I, get, I think, you know, we try to run our pro program with a lot of discipline and a lot of structure. And I think it started with me at an early age just by playing for him. His name was V.J. Meyer, and uh, he's passed away now. But, uh, but I often, uh, a lot of times I look back to how he coached and how he pushed his guys. And, uh, but he was also very fair. 
and he was very, very honest. He told you what to, you know, what you needed to hear, not what you wanted to hear constantly. So I get a lot of, I think I have some of that uh, in my philosophy through him. And then Coach Morrill. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here today if it wasn't for Coach Morrill. You know, the way we run our program, the culture that we try to build here at Weber State, uh, all those things I learned from him. Uh, and again, being honest, running a program, being honest with your, your, your staff, your players, everybody involved in your program. Um, and then also, you know, the structure and the discipline in your program. Uh, uh, and then relationships, you know, having strong relationships. You know, Coach Morrill taught me that, you know, especially this day and age, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest thing in our culture right now is the relationships that we have with everybody in our program, you know, coaches and players, players and players, coaches and coaches, um, strength coach, secretary, trainers, everybody in our program. It's all based on our relationships with each other and strong, having those strong trusting relationships. But Stu is one that really uh, taught me how to run a program and then how to do it the right way. You know, stay within the rules, do it the right way, treat people the right way. Um, but run a run a program that can that can stand the test of time, um, and as long as you have that those relationships, you have that discipline, you have that structure, you're honest with kids, um, then you can stand the test of time. And and when you have that that culture, you can get through tough times. When adversity hits and that culture is strong, and your players believe in that culture and your program believes in it, I think you can uh, you can get through adversity. You can handle adversity. And so you can handle things uh, when things don't go well, you know, uh, you can get through it. And, uh, but those two coaches really, um, I guess that's the philosophy that I've used, you know, most. I've also taken a lot of stuff from Ray Giacoletti as well. But those two coaches really stand out that maybe my uh, coaching philosophy is based on the most. Yeah, yeah. Are you, uh, are you reading any books right now? What's, 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 what's a book that you can throw out there that you really like for all the people that are watching this? Every John Gordon book and Rod Olson book. Um, John Gordon, I love his books. You know, he's got yeah. the, the on and on. I've got all of his books. You know, I reread those constantly. And then, uh, and then it's Rod Olson as well. You know, Rod? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His books are tremendous as well. But uh, uh, I, read, I read those constantly. I'm not reading one currently. Uh, but every, every summer I usually get start picking up the same books, you know, uh, the leadership books, the teamwork books, uh, all those. Um, what's the one, the culture, the, the legacy builder is one that I read every single year, uh, especially in the summer or in the fall, right before the season starts. The legacy builder is a great, great book. And uh, that one probably five or six times. And, and I'll read it again, probably July or August when I get on a vacation, sit down and read the book and get going again. But uh, those are great books for me. All right, final two questions. What advice would you give to yourself 15, 20 years ago? What advice? Yeah. What would you say to, to young Randy Ray? <laughs> That's a good question. Just stay true to who you are. You know, I think a, a, lot, a lot of coaches, uh, when they get into the business, they try to, you know, be somebody else. I want to coach like Bobby Knight. I want to coach like this person. I want to. I want to be like him. And Coach Morrill always, you know, he's always told me, just coach who you are. Coach who Randy Ray is. All right. Be true to yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. 
Um, you can learn from other people. You can, uh, you know, develop a, a system by looking at other people and how they do things, but just be true to who you are and don't try to be somebody else. And then just constantly, no matter how tough it gets, no matter uh, whatever bad breaks you think are coming your way, just keep forging through, you know, be a Buffalo, be a Buffalo and uh, sure. keep, and when you do find success, you know, um, just keep pushing to get, you know, to the next level of success and uh, don't ever, uh, don't ever just uh, sit back and relax and keep pushing forward and, and just keep working hard, hard work and being true to yourself and, and being honest with people, um, then, you know, good things will happen to you. Yeah. Well, obviously uh, we're in a, we're in a really unique time in history. And I think some of our journal entries and interviews that happen right now are going to be re recorded in the annals of time. But if you, if you could give advice or if you could give some comfort or some thoughts to the people out there that are struggling with job loss and with COVID-19 and sickness and those things, what, what would you say right now to, to some of the people that, that are out there maybe having a hard time? It's a difficult time. I, you know, it's, it's hard for these. I feel so incredibly bad for these people that have lost their jobs and, and trying to feed their families. And you see these people that are trying to, that have never experienced having to go to a feed bank and to put their pride aside and having to go take care of their families. Those, those people are inspirations to me. Um, those people, you talk about grit and you talk about toughness. We're finding out right now with the times that we're in, the truly tough people, the truly tough, the people that have that grit, the survival mode that they get into, uh, is it, it's just extremely, it's impressive. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's inspiring. And uh, I love to watch those stories and I watch the, the, some of the news places or the news shows all the time just to see those stories and, and to see them. But, you know, better days are always ahead and to stay strong and to stay, you know, true to who you are and believe in yourself no matter what, you can always survive. You can always make it, you know, whenever you think you've hit rock bottom, you know, and, and the other thing is just always be thankful no matter what you have going on in your life. Be grateful and be thankful because you always have things to be grateful for and thankful for in your life, no matter what. And, and right now it might be the smallest things. You know, if you wake up and, you, and you've got your health today, be thankful for that. The hard times are going to pass. They're going to get through. And there's going to be so many people out there willing to help you. And that's the other thing, too, is be willing to reach out for help, you know. Sure, and yeah. don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, it's not just tough from a financial standpoint or a health standpoint, but from, from a mental health standpoint. And if, if anybody's out struggling with, with mentally with what's going on, just always there's people that can help you and they're there for you. And uh, I pray for those people every day. And, and I know that better times are ahead and good times are ahead and everything's going to get better. We just got to, we got to be Buffalo right now. We got to run into that storm and, and stay strong. Well, uh, coach, I love that. I, you know, you just reminded me of a really, really good, good thought that we had. My, my first daughter was born at 25 weeks and it was, touch and go for four and a half months in the hospital. And I'm not, I'm not telling this story to get anybody to feel bad for me, but we had a church leader that came over to our house and he said, look, and, and my wife and I had already kind of like 
circled the wagons and just said, look, we're going to be fine. We can handle this alone. We don't need anybody's help, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And um, he came over and he goes, look, I've, I've been through some difficult times myself. And he, he at the time had a wife who had, who had brain cancer. And so I thought it was impressive that he was at our house anyway. And he just said, there's going to be lots of people around you that are going to ask you if they can help and that are willing to help and are reaching out to you. And he says, my advice to you is to let them, it'll bless yeah. their lives and it'll bless your lives. And I'm telling you, that is such great advice that you gave about don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to accept help. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because I feel like it changed our lives. And I think it changed our experience that we had in the hospital with our daughter and it's changed the friends and the networking that I have because we, we allowed people into our lives instead of shutting them out at a time like this. So coach, I, that, that really means a lot to me that you would say that. I hadn't even thought about that perspective. So thank you, Coach. That, that's awesome. Well, I think, too, Riley, too, you got to always, in times like this, it puts everything in perspective. You know, we worry about losing a basketball game or two, and you think it's the end of the world, or, you know, you have a year like we had with all the injuries, and you just think you get a little poor pitiful me going on, right? You know, it's, it's so much bigger than that because – you know, to me, life is about relationships. And yep. that's what really, when everything's said and done and, and we're about ready to be done, you know, here, you know, what are they going to, how are they going to look at you? What are they going to say about you? You know, and, and to me, it's about relationships and how you treated people and reached out to help people and uh, did what you could do as you're just being a human being. And, and, uh, but you said, like you said, a lot of people are out there to help, uh, help you. But whether you accept it or not is going to be the difference, you know, a lot of times in your life that change that makes you turn the corner or get you to where you need to go. So to me, that's that's you're exactly right. You got to accept help and be willing to do that. Coach, phenomenal interview. Thank you so much for taking time with us. We're we're, we're big fans of Weaver State basketball at my house. My my son's already asking when the game start. And I'm like, hey, slow your roll, man. We got a little bit of time. So. Yeah, but uh, I appreciate you taking time. You, you, you're just a fantastic person. And hopefully the people that watch this have gotten a little bit of a clue or a little bit of a hint to what a great person you are. So thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to talking to you soon, maybe in person. <laughs> hopefully sometime soon. Better days are ahead. So that'll be coming soon, Riley. But uh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. You're the best, man. You're the best. All right. Thanks, Coach. Yeah.